I'm thrilled to be here tonight. And I'm scared to be here tonight. This is my first time doing this. But uh, I'm praying that God is with us tonight and we'll be sharing his word. And that's awesome. I'm glad we get to do that. Uh, Zeke did leave a little note here for me to share with you tonight. We have free High Desert Maverick tickets. New Life Church presents Faith Night, Sunday, July 20th. Game starts at 5 pre-game concert at 4. I've been out there for their Christian concerts. My daughter is in one of the Christian concerts out there. I don't know if she's going to be at this one, but it, it's, it's worth the time. Free tickets available to you tonight. In the back. Okay, I already introduced myself. I'm Mike. Hi. A um, little bit about myself. First and foremost, foremost, I'm a born-again Christian by the grace of God. That's the most important thing. My prayers tonight is that we, all the Christians, not only be hearers of God's word, but be doers of his word. And I'm here to share his word with you tonight. <laughs> Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be able to be free and, and the liberty you give us to be here together and share your word, hear your word. It's such a blessing to have that freedom to do that in this great country we live in. We thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 4 tonight. Uh, and uh, I'm using the New King James Version. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness, I have a problem with that word, lowliness, and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father for all, of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measures of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended above, far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministries, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of the men in the cunning craftness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, 
but speaking the truth in love. I've got to say that again. May grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Amen. Thank you. Um, Some of what I'll be... I keep going away from the mic, sorry. Some of the stuff I'm going to be going to, I want to give credit to Pastor Chuck Smith because I'll be doing some of his commentary or reading some of his commentary tonight. And also... Matthew Henry's commentary. Um, I believe these, I know Pastor Chuck is in line with what we believe, and I believe uh, Matthew Henry's commentary is something we can count on also. Okay, on the, got to go back. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. This is a general exhortation to walk as becomes of our Christian profession. It's to exhort and encourage you. Paul was now a prisoner at Rome, and he was the prisoner of the Lord, or in the Lord, which signifies as much as for the Lord. Uh, Ephesians 3.1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of, of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. If in needed, you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God, which was given to me, given to me for you. It's awesome. Okay, he mentions this once again to show that he was not ashamed of his bonds well knowing that he suffered not as an evildoer and likewise to recommend what he wrote to them with the greater tenderness and with some special advantage. It was a doctrine he thought worth suffering for and therefore surely they should think it worthy their serious regards and their doubtful Observances, dutiful observances. We have here a petition of a poor prisoner, one of Christ's prisoners. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, considering what God has done for you and to what a state and condition he has called you, as has been discoursed before, I know I now come with the earnest request to you not to send me relief, nor to use your interest for obtaining of my liberty. This, the first thing which poor prisoners who want to solicit from worthy, from their friends, but that you would approve yourselves good Christians and live up to your profession and calling, that you will walk worthy, agreeable, suitable, and congraciously to those happy circumstances to which the grace of God has brought you, whom he has converted from heathenism to Christianity. We were heathens before we were Christians is what I'm trying to say. Christians ought to accommodate themselves to to the gospel by which they are called and to the glory to which they are called. Both are their vocation. We are called Christians. We must answer that name and live like Christians. We are called to God's kingdom and glory. That kingdom and glory, therefore, we must mind and walk as becomes the heirs of them. Walk as Christians. 
So that that was uh, from Matthew Henry's commentary. We're going to go to Chuck Smith's commentary and a little bit of mine and mix it up a little bit here. Okay, going back to the beginning. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. Back at the beginning of chapter 3, he speaks of himself as the prisoner of Jesus Christ and therefore takes you back to this verse. Beseech you that you will walk worthy of the vocation where, where within you are called. This takes you back to the first three chapters and all the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ Jesus. You have been called to be children of God by adoption. Verse, uh, or chapter 1, verse 6, God has accepted you. Verse 7, God has redeemed you. He has forgiven your sins. Verse 9, he has made known to you the mystery of his will. You have been made heirs of God. Verse 11, he has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. Verse 13, he has made you alive together in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 5, he has saved you by his grace. Chapter 2, verse 5, seated you in heavenly places in Christ. 2, 6, he is willing, he is working in you to prepare you to accomplish his eternal purpose. He has brought you near by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has brought you near by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's so important as Christians. He has reconciled you to God. He has given you access by the Spirit to the Father. He has made you fellow citizens of the household of God. He now indwells in you by his spirit. God dwells in you if you abide in him. And you can abide in him by being in his word. That's how he, the Holy Spirit, abides in you. Note that Paul does not begin the book with exhortation to walk worthy. He lays the groundwork in the first three chapters letting you know that you are in Christ Jesus. And what God has done for you by Christ Jesus and the power available to you through the Holy Spirit, he has given you all the equipment necessary to walk worthy. To try to walk worthy without the aid of that God has done has done, would be an interesting study in frustration and futility. So many sermons exhort the saints on how they should walk, what they should be doing for Jesus, but never instruct them in what God has first done for them. The result is a guilt-ridden, frustrated saint. God has blessed us with his word. He's blessed us to to have the manual to know how to live our lives. What it means to walk worthy? Walk in humility. Paul speaks of himself as the least of the apostles and not even being worthy of being called an apostle. But he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. In verse 3 8, he referred to himself as less than the least of all saints. In the Greek culture, humility was not considered a virtue. It was a megamind, the opposite of humility, that was considered a virtue. The reason is, it is considered a virtue by us is that we Christians, we live not for our own glory or worldly, worldly recognition, 
but for the glory of our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay, meekness and gentleness. The Greek word is priasis, and I know I tore that up. Aristotle defined it as the mean between excessive anger and excessive angerlessness. Being too angry and never being angry at all. What a blessing that would be. There are injustice in this world that should make us angry, but we should not. We should not be angry over every little thing that happens to us. The same Greek word is used for an animal that has been tamed, whose great forces are brought into submission and obedience to the trainer. That's meekness and gentleness. We're going long suffering. Suffering. It is the spirit that never gives up, never concedes defeat. The Romans did not ever think of losing a war. They might lose a battle, but they never saw themselves as defeated. The belief is that the in the ultimate victory. The second meaning is patience with men. The spirit that has the power to take revenge but never does. Paul amplifies this in 1 Corinthians 13. Bears all things, believe all things, and hope all things. You see it in a little puppy yapping and nipping at a large dog. It is one of the characteristics of God. It bears God bears insult and injury without complaint. Bearing with one another in a love, agape love. In the Greek, there are four words for love. Um, I know we've heard this here many times from Pastor Larry and Pastor Zeke. Eros, sexual passions. Philia. Emotional love, storage, which is family love, a word coined for the New Testament love on the spiritual level, agape. When a new word is coined, it is then necessary to define what that word means. And 1 Corinthians 13 has the definition of agape. So if you don't mind going back just a little bit to, uh, if you want to, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gifts of prophecy and the understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all goods to feed the poor, and, through, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me not. Love suffers long and is kind love, does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in inequity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Remember, we're talking about agape love. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, but whether there are prophecies, there they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will. Vanish away. 
For we know in part and we prophesize in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you, Lord. We know that by your word. Okay. In Galatians, we have another definition. Galatians 5.22, if you want to take note. By, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There have been and are many divisions in the body of, the, of Christ. It is essential that we seek to keep the unity of the Spirit. Further, down in this chapter, Paul will speak of the unity of faith. Man, being what he is, that unity of faith may never come this side of heaven. I think, and this is Pastor Smith again, I think it rather pathetic that so many people are looking forward to heaven to prove that their doctoral position was correct. I have to agree with Pastor Smith on that. That is such a true statement. They look to it as a place they can say, yay, yay, I told you. That's not what it's about. Proverbs tells us that God hates those who cause division amongst, amongst the brethren. Paul told the Romans to mark those who caused divisions among them. In Paul's first letter, letter to the Corinthians, he said, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind, and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house, that they are continuous among you. Contentious, contentious among you. Now this I say, that every one of faith I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? In the third chapter, Paul speaks of the divisions as a mark of carnality. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? We need to recognize and even appreciate the diversities of the body of Christ. Now there are diversities of the gifts, but the same spirit. And there are differences of administrators, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God, which worketh all in all. But the, 
manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of the healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kind of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all of these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severely as his will, not our will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. The result of seeking to keep the unity of the Spirit will be the bond of peace. We will all be bound up together in the peace of Christ. It's amazing how many people will not let you take a neutral stand on issues. They try to force you to get on one side or the other. Many times their whole purpose in getting you to state your position is so that they may argue with you. I believe that there are those who have such inner turmoil and strife within they are determined that they will not allow anyone else to have peace. Three. I believe I've been called to be a representative of Jesus Christ. Pastor Chuck Smith is saying this. There is no higher calling in the world. I need to walk worthy of the calling, but walking in gentleness, even temperedness, patient and love, as I seek to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, I think we all need this to live better lives as Christians. Ephesians chapter 4, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the faith comes much later than the unity of the Spirit. There are those that are very decisive. A group known as Cure are heavy into Calvinistic doctrine and always seem to have an axe to grind with everyone who doesn't embrace their position. Of course, when you get as ultra-Calvinistic as they are, it's no incentive to seek to win the loss to Jesus Christ. They do not believe that it is possible to convert a man to believe in Jesus Christ. So the only ones they seek to convert are believers to their persuasion. They are so radical that they bring division to the body of Christ. However, we may not agree on every issue, and that is all right. As long as we disagree agreeably. Keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The attitude is far more important than proving your point. There are certain positions of doctrine that are non-negotiable. The correct belief is essential for salvation. There are many other things that can be interpreted several different ways. There are scriptures that can be used to prove either position. There is 
excuse me, there is where we walk in love and not insist that the other person subscribes wholly to our position. That's worth repeating. There is where we must walk in love and not insist that the other person subscribe wholly in our position. That's what causes divisions in churches. That's not what it's about. It's about Christ. Thank you. The subject of the rapture of the church. Your salvation does not depend on whether you believe in pre-trib, mid-tribulation, or a post-tribulation. Take your choice, whatever you're most comfortable with. We can still love each other and worship the Lord together. I feel that it is all right to express another's opinion as long as it's not the argumentative way or you just do not have any understanding. There are always those who are seeking to draw into some kind of argument or debate. I'm very happy the way I see it. Thank you, Jesus. Paul tells us, to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I would also add love. As he tells us in the next chapter, to walk in love. There's one body and one Spirit, one hope of your calling. There's only one church and only one person who has the right to say, my church, and that's Jesus. It's his church. And the beautiful thing about it is that you cannot join it. You have to be born into it. But everyone who is born again by the Spirit of God is a member, is a member of that one body. They may call themselves Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, Church of Christ, or Catholics, or even Mormons. For I believe that there are some sincere Mormons who are born again. I personally just like to call myself a Christian. I have to agree with that 100%. There is only one Spirit of God. We know that there are many spirits in the world today, including the spirit of the Antichrist. We are to try the spirits to see if they be of God. The way some people act, you would think that they are the only group experiencing the true work of the Spirit of God in their midst. Their attitude is that we are the only ones that have the true spirit of God because we speak in tongues and you don't. Or laughing and walking in love. The truth of, excuse me, I got lost. Or the overtaking with laughter and you're not. The true evidence of the spirit is not speaking in tongues or laughter but walking in love. There is one hope of our calling. God does not have seven heavens contrary to the Mormon's belief. It is rather interesting that so many groups think that they are only the only ones that are going to make it to heaven. Heaven will be full of surprises. I think that we will be surprised at the many people that we will be there that we thought would never be, never make it. I think that we will be surprised also by those who were prominent in the religious arena who did not make it. If one Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Paul tells us that one day every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Paul said that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be saved. We who have received Jesus Christ all serve all serve the same Lord. Let us not speak to cut the body of Christ up into many little different segments. One faith. People often ask, of what faith are you? By this, they are usually seeking to know what denomination you, are, you belong to. There is only one faith. That is the faith in Jesus Christ. That he is the Son of God and that he died for my sins, if I truly believe that, it will be manifested by his lordship over my life. There's one baptism. This is one introduction by baptism into the body of Christ. It is often referred to as the baptism of repentance. There are many denominations that baptize into their fellowship or denomination. They will not accept as a valid valid your baptism unless you were baptized by them or one of their same persecution. Persuasion. Sorry. The Church of Christ will not accept as valid any baptism that is not conducted by them. The Lutheran, Missouri Synod, the same. The Jesus only sect says that unless you were baptized in the name of Jesus only, your baptism is not valid. They reject as a valid, invalid your baptism if it was done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul is not saying that there is not a baptism in the Holy Spirit. That is separate from the baptism of repentance. John said, I indeed baptize with water unto repentance, but there is one coming after me that is mightier than I, and I am not worthy to untie his sandal. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Acts 1 Jesus said, excuse me, in Acts 1, Jesus said to his disciples that they should wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. For John did indeed baptize with water into repentance, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Both John and Jesus spoke of the baptism. I don't know why I'm doing this so much today. I'm sorry. With the baptism of John, John was the baptizer. The element was water. And the issue was repentance of sins. With the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the baptizer. The element is the Holy Spirit, and the issue is power to be a witness. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. This is not teaching the universal fatherhood of God. Paul is not writing a general epistle to the world. He is writing to faithful saints that are in Christ Jesus. If you are not in Christ Jesus, as Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. He is through all. He permanents the universe. He is all who are in Christ Jesus. Note the Trinity, the unity of the Spirit. One Lord who is Jesus, one God 
and Father. All through the scriptures, you find them coupled together, integrated together, same attributes, works attributed to each one. At the baptism of Jesus, you find him being baptized and the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove. And the Father confirming the whole scene as he declares, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Throughout his life, you will find all three. In his death, you will find him laying down his life. No man takes my life from me. I give my life. Yet you find him by his internal spirit giving his life as a sacrifice. Hebrews 9:14 How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the internal spirit offered himself without spot to God purge your consciousness from dead works to severe the, to serve the living God still. 2 Corinthians 5:19 To wit the God was in Christ, reconciling the word, the world, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse seven. But to everyone of is is given grace but to everyone of is is given grace Paul told the Romans Romans 12:3 For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So God has given to every man a measure of faith and to every man a gift of grace. He exhorted the Corinthians not to receive the grace of God in vain. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.10, As every man hath received the gift, even so, Minister the same to one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace God. Grace of God. That is that since you have revealed this gift of grace, minister to the same to one another. All the gifts of God to us are to be shared with others. Having received love, love others. Having received forgiveness, forgive others. Having received mercy, show mercy to others. Having received his grace, show grace to others. The gift of grace is according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So often, Christ is used as the standard of measurement. Love even as he loved us. We are too pure. We are to be pure even as he is pure. We are to be righteous even as he is righteous. We husbands are to love our wives even as Christ loved the church and gave his self for it. John tells us that we are to walk even as he walked. Paul told the Colossians, If any man have a quarrel with another, even as Christ has forgiven you, so do ye. For if God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how much more than shall we not freely give us all things? So the gift of grace to us is measured by the gift of Christ. 
Wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth up on the high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. This is a quotation from Psalm 68. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebelists also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. What is meant by leading captives captive? In the prophecy of Jesus, given by Isaiah in the chapter 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prisons to them that are bound. Paul tells us that before he ascended, he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. When the Jews asked Jesus for a sign, he told them the only sign that would be given to them was the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. One day of the Pentecost, as Peter was preaching, Jesus to the people, he declared that for David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Acts 2, we're in Acts 2.26. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of the life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. First Peter 3:18. For Christ also This is Peter. For Christ also had once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, bring up the death in the flesh by quickening by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Prior to the death of Christ, hell was divided into two compartments, as told by Jesus in Luke 16. There was a fixed gulf between the two that was uncrossable, and the other side was a place of torment, while the other was a place of comfort overseen by Abraham, some called Abraham's bosom. The Old Testament sacrifice could not put away sins, only cover them, and look forward to better things to come. It took the sacrifice of Jesus to put away sin. Thus, those who believed in the promise of God to send the Messiah were saved by their faith, but could not be brought into the heavenly scene until the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them far off and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, and again. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Hebrews 11:40. God having provided some better things for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. 
when Jesus went into Hades to preach to the spirits in prison or captive. He went to the side occupied by Abraham and those others who died in faith. The promise was of the entrance into the kingdom of God, but that was only possible through the atonement made by Jesus Christ. He ascended far above the heavens, above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Paul spoke of being caught up into the third heaven. I understand the first heaven to be the atmosphere surrounding the earth. The second heaven to believe the celestial heaven as he placed the stars in the heavens. And the third heaven to be the dwelling place of God beyond space. But my personal opinion is that it is much closer than we can imagine. That it's outside of our time and space dimension and actually surrounds us. Far above all heavens could refer to the dimension beyond space and time. The purpose of this is that he might fill all things. This could only be done if he indeed did dwell in an internal, timeless, spaceless state. He would thus fill all and be in all. Paul refers to this in chapter 123 as he speaks of the church as being the fullness of him and filleth all in all. When Jesus took the limitations of the human body, he became subject to time and space. He was limited to there where his body was. In that state, he was not in the omnipresence. To be omnipresent, you must be outside the limitations of the human body and thus outside of time and space. Ephesians 4.11 And he gave some apostles. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is speaking of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He said, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after the miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. But are all to be apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret it? Interpret? He is making reference to men that God has set in the church with ministry gifts. The gift of apostleship. Apostle no Lord. Apostleship, excuse me. There are many disciples of Jesus. They numbered into the hundreds. For the many disciples, he chose 12 to be called apostles. The word apostle literally means one set forth. Thus, Jesus is called in Hebrews the apostle of our faith. Paul said that he was called to be an apostle. In Philippians 2.25, Paul speaks as being an apostle, apostle, translated messenger in the King James Version. In Romans, Paul salutes Anadiochus and Juna, who he declares are of the note among the apostles. If we struck to stuck, if we struck to a strict meaning of the word, I guess it would apply most closely to a missionary today. 
in the early church, the requirements for apostleship seemed to be one who had been with Christ from his baptism, who was an eyewitness to his resurrection from the dead. It would also appear that he should also exercise the gift of miracles. Are not the words of the apostles wrought by me, said Paul? Are there apostles today? In the true biblical sense, probably no. There are those who have taken the title of apostle. The Mormon church in one of their claims to be the true church boasts that they are the only church who have 12 apostles with the authority to ordain men to administer the rituals of the church. Thus they boast apostolic authority. Some prophets. It would seem that the New Testament, the office of prophet, differed from what form that it, the office of prophet was in the Old Testament. Agravos was referred to as a prophet. He predicted a drought. He predicted Paul's imprisonment in Jerusalem. In Acts 13, it speaks of certain prophets in the church of Antioch, such as Barnabas, Simon, Lucifer, and Saul. The daughters of Philip were gifted with the gift of prophecy. Paul speaks of the women praying and prophesying in the church of Corinthians. The promise of the Holy Spirit in Joel declared that your sons and daughters would prophesy. In the Old Testament, it seemed that the prophet had the ear of the nation. And he called on to them to turn to God and warned of the great dangers that would face it if they refused to do so. Today, Billy Graham thought as an evangelist seems to also exercise the gift of a prophet, much life the, like those of the Old Testament area. I see him in Isaiah or Jeremiah. I believe that David Hunt in a way could be considered as a prophet, a pastor or a teacher. I believe this goes together, the pastor or teacher. In Paul's list in 1 Corinthians, he also mentions the teacher but makes no mention of that of a pastor. The word pastor is shepherd, the one who tends the flock. It is more than just feeding them. It is the overseeing them, watching over their welfare. This is the gift of, this is my gift and calling in the church, Pastor Chuck Smith. I have been called to be a pastor and a teacher. What is the purpose of these gifts? The perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. The New Testament and the word perfecting is that of bringing to maturity a full age. In Hebrews 6, exhortation is to leave the first principles of the doctrines of Christ and go on into perfection or maturity. We need to hear more than just repentance from dead works and need for baptism. The saints are the ones that are to be involved in the works of the ministry the saints, to bring the saints to the place of spiritual maturity that they are able to minister to others, to edify of the body of Christ. The word edify is to build up. This is where the Lord revolutionizes my whole philosophy of the church and thus my ministry. I have been taught and had been accepted without challenge, the prim primary purpose of the church 
was the evangelist evangelization of the world. The church existed to win the world to Christ. Thus, every sermon that Pastor Chuck preached was an evangelistic sermon. And the people he was preaching to were all saved. So now he's threefold purpose of the church. I now believe that the primary purpose of the church is to glorify God, the primary purpose. We exist for his good pleasure. And when we bring him praise and glory, we are fulfilling his primary purpose for our existence. The church exists for the purpose of perfecting the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. Pastor Chuck says here, I, he was so concerned about winning the world to Christ that he was not tending those who had come to Christ by not bringing them into maturity. keeping them in a state of spiritual infancy. Believing the church cannot fulfill the Great Commission to bring message of Jesus Christ to the world until we have come to a level of spiritual maturity and have been built up in Christ. part of witnessing witnessing can be a vital part but the true witness is living the life of Christ before them walking the walk talking the talk walking in the light that's the truth living the life of Christ before them they will learn and believe much more by what they see in you than what they hear from you. God knows that's how I was saved. I was working in prison. I had the keys. Working in prison, December 1989. It was actually um, New Year's Eve. I was held over. In other words, I had worked eight hours and they told me, you're staying eight more hours. A choice. Work eight more hours or quit. There's no other choice. I worked eight more hours. Well, I worked with a brother, a brother in Christ. At the time, we weren't brothers. We were just partners. Um, this brother also we hadn't worked together the first eight. We are working the second eight together. He was also told he wasn't going home for New Year's Eve. But he was joyful. And I'm watching this man and going, how come he's so happy? It's New Year's Eve. We're stuck here. And he's happy, smiling all the time, talking to everybody friendly. And a few hours into this, I think, God, I wish I was like him. I'd love to be like him. And after a little while longer, I told the man what I was thinking. Boy, I would love to be like you. Right there in prison, in Chino State Prison, he led me to the Lord. Thank God. By the grace of God, I was saved and born again. Right there and then. That's just a wonderful thing, as we know. Um, for those of you that are born again and saved, and I assume probably here tonight everybody is. Um, I've taken up a lot of time here. I'm going to jump to the end of what I have here. And if I can find it. The head from whom the whole body is fitted and joined together is Christ, Godhead. Um, without the body, 
Or without the Godhead, the body would be useless. I almost turned that around. <laughs> Sorry. But it takes the whole body. With one arm, um, things can be done, but it's much harder. God wants us to be a whole body. Not physically, but spiritually. One body. That's the important thing. Um, due to time... I want to close here with the the thought of the the body uh, going to verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every, by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Father God, I want to thank you for this opportunity to share your word tonight. I want to thank you for the people here that put up with me tonight, Lord. Um, It's been a blessing for me. I hope it's been a blessing and edifying night for them. Father God, we ask you in Jesus' name to bless this night and the rest of this evening. In your name, Lord. Praise God. Thank you.